You say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to see when there's nothing to bring. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I don't care. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. See? Good morning, CBC. Morning. Good morning, CBC. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. I would ask that you stand with us this morning. Uh, We're going to sing a song called Yes, I Will to the Lord.
Good morning, everyone. You guys may take a seat. Uh, so glad that y'all can join us today. Um, what, glad that you're joining us in person or for our live stream, uh, especially for this special holiday. Um, in case you didn't know, today is July 25th, which of course means it's Christmas in July. So uh, I don't see that many Christmas sweaters here. Um, I guess uh, you guys thought it was a little too warm. Um, but we're glad that y'all are here. Uh, here at Cypress Bible Church, we gather and worship. Uh, we grow in God's truth, and we go in life-changing mission. And there are some opportunities uh, for mission that I would like to share with you today. Uh, there is an informational meeting today in WLC, uh, WLC 101 after the 11 o'clock service, and it is about opportunities to go local and serve our more elementary community. Uh, and so there's some great opportunities. Uh, so go stop by there uh, after the 11 o'clock service. Find out how you can share God's love with the community of more. We've also got a couple of our projects we've been working on this past uh, summer, past few weeks. Uh, so there's still opportunities to drop off food items for CAM. Uh, we set a goal of 270 crates, and right now we're right around 150. So if you would still like to help us uh, support the community of Cyprus, you can either drop off things at the trailer today between uh, 9 and 1230, or there's one more chance on Tuesday between 9 and 3. And so please... Uh, if you haven't had a chance already, or if you had, uh, help us reach that goal so we continue to share God's love with Cyprus. Uh, and our giving for our South Africa van project, the last day to give is today. Uh, and so uh, we have set a goal, and then we set an even bigger goal of $12,000. And so we're trying to raise money so that we can uh, bless the Simpson family with a van so they can continue to serve the community of South Africa and share God's love there. And so if you'd like to help uh, them, help us with this project, uh, you can either give uh, today online or you can drop off some money in one of the gas cans in the commons or you can write on your check uh, South Africa Van Project. And so we said that we would maybe pie all some of this church staff if we reached our goal. So that's a kind of exciting goal, but ultimately we hope that we can bless uh, the South Africa community and, uh, and also share God's love with them. Now today is a special day, not only because it is Christmas in July, uh, but also because this is Child Dedication Sunday. And so on this special day, uh, we'll be calling up some families uh, who will get to dedicate their children. Uh, and we know that child dedication is not simply a, a day for the kids. Now it's a special day for them, certainly, but it's also a special day for parents, for families, and for our church as a whole. And so we are so glad that we get to uh, dedicate uh, one of our families uh, here today. And as we, and as we uh, are starting today, let me read from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. This says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, it, you see in that passage, it doesn't say just parents listen to this, uh, but this is a call for the whole Israelite community uh, to help children grow up to know the Lord. And so we want to take that call as well as a church so that we might help the children in our community continue to grow up and become more like Jesus and grow to know the Lord. And so we're so happy that we can celebrate dedication today.
Good morning. I'm Evelyn Herman, the early childhood director here at Cypress Bible Church, and this is the Vela family. Danny and Stephanie Vela, their eight-year-old Hannah, and they are dedicating today Joshua Jose Lee Vela. He's nine months old. He's one of the happiest babies I have in the nursery. Um, Joshua's parents describe him as strong and a curious boy who loves to explore and steal your food. <laughs> he loves to smile and laugh, especially for his big sister. And their dreams and desires for Joshua is that he would love and have faith in God and to be surrounded by family and friends who love and support him. And so they're going to do their blessing now. Dear Joshua, for your dedication today, we have chosen this Bible verse for you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make, your straight, he will make straight your path. We believe this verse best explains that as your relationship grows in the Lord, only he can make your life straight, even when it's difficult to see in that moment. We are, very, we are so very blessed that the Lord gave you to us and trusted us to raise you and lead you into the man God wants you to be. Today, we bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. Yes, go ahead. Let's celebrate this. Now, part of our child dedication is that uh, parents are making commitment and also the church is making commitment. And so uh, the parents are going to read this, uh, the, this text along with me. And then uh, church will ask you to read uh, the commitment along with me as well. So parents, let's go ahead and read this. We recognize that children are a gift from God, and as a parent, we have the responsibility to prepare our children for life. We affirm the most important preparation for life involves their own relationship to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we commit to the following, to model for our child what becoming like Jesus looks like, to pray for our child regularly, to instruct and guide our child in their understanding of what it means to become more like Jesus. So church, would you go ahead and uh, read this commitment with me as well? We recognize our role as a church family is to walk beside these families, to pray for them, to encourage them, to be a good model of someone becoming more like Jesus. As God prompts me to participate in the care and instruction of these children and parents through my own personal ministry and the ministries of the church. So at this time, we'd like to surround the Velas with prayer. So would you go ahead and bow your heads with me as we pray for Joshua? God, thank you so much um, for the blessing of this family. Thank you that uh, they are here at CBC and that we can uh, be a part of their life as they pursue you and become more like Jesus. And so thank you for the opportunities that we have to celebrate Joshua today. I pray that he grows up to know you and to love you and to trust in you and follow you. Um, and I just pray for Danny and Stephanie that they might continually model uh, faith for him and show him what it means to live for you and to, to follow you. I pray for Hannah that she can be a good big sister and help him grow up uh, to love you and know you as well. And I just pray for this church that we might surround the Velas as we continually pray for them and support them uh, and just be the body of Christ. Um, this is all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you celebrate uh, Joshua and the Velas with me today? Thank you.
Thank you, Evan. Congratulations, Vela family. Uh, if you would stand with me, we're going to sing this next song together, O Come Ye Sinners.
Brian, would you come? waving in panic back there. <laughs> Apparently, you laughed at my joke, so you were with me, all right? Okay. Um, I'm out of practice for this kind of stuff. Um, so I continued my study. Then on Wednesday, when I was turning in my title and be developing the PowerPoint in my computer, I discovered that actually someone, some preacher had preached this passage before. Uh, that preacher was me. <laughs> a little over four years ago, right here. Um, now, if you're one of those people, I'm looking at you, who remember exactly what I said that Sunday, then you can sneak out the back, no questions asked. Um, but there's, there's something good about getting older. You get a chance to rethink former suppositions, to look at things from a new angle, to to re-examine stuff you always felt was true. And I'm going to preach this text differently than I preached it uh, four years ago. It's not so much that I think I was incorrect, but rather that I was incomplete. Um, that I had a chance to think through and broaden my view, and therefore see the broader context of, of what I'm going to share with us this morning. So I encourage you to stick around especially those of you honest ones who don't remember, um, and hear what an old dude has to say about a familiar story. Now let's pray. Thank you, Lord, you never age. You're ever-present. You're always true. You're ever-capable of teaching our dull minds and insensitive hearts. And so we give ourselves to you, and we ask you, be our teacher this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, speaking directly to us through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Amen. We human beings have a tendency to be great starters and poor finishers. We're gung-ho at the beginning and gone home before the end. Um, we start well, but we easily quit. We particularly drop out when the going gets tough or we encounter difficulty, particularly unanticipated difficulty, when things are tougher than we thought. We start a diet, 
Jackie Gleason said, the second day of a diet is always easier than the first. By then, you're off it. We begin an exercise routine, but find it impossible to keep on going to the gym. Someone has asked, does refusing to go to the gym count as resistance training? We start a program to run next year's uh, Houston Marathon, or maybe, maybe just a 10K. And several days into it, it is the worst of summer, too hot. Or it's February and snowpocalypse hits Texas. No more of that. We resolve to lose weight. This time, it's going to work. And two weeks into it, all we have lost is 14 days. We intend to learn German or Russian. Nine, yet. We promise that means no in those two languages, for those of you who are just Texans. Um, we promise ourselves we're going to clean out our garage. And into it, we kind of decide, you know, getting a car inside there is really overrated. So. More importantly, we set out to read our Bibles through in a year. And somewhere in Leviticus or Numbers, we stall out. Even more seriously, we dedicate ourselves to follow Jesus. And we find it's hard going. It is. It's actually impossible. We know that. Uh, it's hard enough battling our, the sins of our inner selves. It's even more difficult when, we, when others oppose us or when we are swimming against the tide of popular opinion. Jesus knows that we are weak. Thank God for that. Because he loves us and knows what is best for us, he has something to say for us in Luke 18. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles there. He wants to tell us how to stay true in stressful times, how to keep on when we want to give up. For Jesus' sake and by his grace, how do we stay determined in dark days? How do we stay true in stressful times? Please open your Bibles, Luke 18, we'll start in verse 1. Here we're going to find a story about staying power, a narrative to nail down that we should not give up, a tale about tenacity. Verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Ought always to pray, stated positively, we should keep on, we should persist in prayer stated negatively, we should not give up, we shouldn't give in, we shouldn't quit, become dispirited or lose heart. Jesus knows that praying is one of those things that we know is good for us, that we agree is vital for us, essential, and yet we find it difficult to stay at it. it think, I think it helps us to know that Jesus very clearly understands our weakness. But this is not just simply a parable about persistence in praying. It's there for sure, and that's more or less how I preached it four years ago. Let's note, though, that these words from Jesus come in a broader context. It comes in the context of Jesus explaining the tests and the trials and tribulations that will come upon us in a harsh world while we await his return. I'm going to turn back to Luke 17 and read some of the verses that lead right into this text. 
Luke 17, I'll start with verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. In other words, there are going to come some times when you wish I was still here with you. And you'll long for that, but it's not going to happen. And they will say to you, look there, look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying, being given marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Jesus, I'm sorry, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Did you get that? The day of the Son of Man. The day of the Son of Man. The day of the Son of Man. Jesus is talking about his return. Then in verse 8 of our text, we find this. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So this passage takes place in a context about the second coming. The context of this parable is about the, the gathering gloom and the global hostility to God before Jesus, the Son of Man, comes back. It's not just a, a tale about praying hard. It's a parable about praying hard in hard times. It's an invitation to tenacious intercession in the face of severe opposition. Difficult days will come. We'll be tempted to go with the flow of a lost society. The pressure to conform will weigh heavy against us. And against such a tide, a flow, a strength, how do we stay on course? Notice that Jesus doesn't command or rebuke or criticize or instruct. He simply tells a story. It appears that Jesus assumes, and he's the master teacher, by the way, that by his relaying a drama, our imagination will be stirred, our minds will recall and visualize, and our heart will apply his truth simply by a story. So here's the story. You can go to the next slide. I got this technology here. I think I can make that happen. Are we there? Okay, we need to go back up. Um, Jesus said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He's the first character introduced in the, in the story. A judge. A judge is supposed to interpret the law of God with the wisdom of God applied to the people of God in the circumstances they face in society. It says, this judge neither, did neither fear God nor respect man. These are negative qualities which automatically should disqualify him from office. As far as he's concerned, he knows no superior and he bows to no authority or opinion. This surely minimizes the chance of anyone getting a fair hearing when they appear in his court. I'm told that lawyers have kind of a ranking and they know that the courts that will give a good hearing to the defense and those that will not, he's one that will not. I wonder, Joe, if you hear those words describing him, if you can see them in your mind's eye. 
if you can visualize his face, if you can see his posture, if you can look into those hardened eyes, that's the judge. Note that these words of description by Jesus are verbatim repeated in verse, what is it, 7, as the judge talks about himself. And will, I'm sorry, it's in verse 4. The judge said, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. This is a narrative technique, a storyteller's technique to underscore, to highlight that you're not going to get a fair hearing from this man. There's a severe unlikelihood you're going to get justice in his court. Maybe here's a good place that we should bring in the other characters in the story. We're going to have, we have the judge, we're going to have the widow, but there's also the storyteller and the audience, the villagers who are listening, because a proper interpretation of a gospel story is to include those who are hearing the parable. So how does Jesus' audience, how do the villagers, likely all of them peasants, lower class, simple people, how do they think of this judge Jesus is telling them about? What's their opinion of him? What do they have in common with him? Now, verse 3 tells us, as, as the story goes on, there was a widow in that city. We got the judge. Now we have a widow in that city. Can you see her? Can you visualize her clothes? Can you see her posture? Can you imagine her face and her eyes, her countenance? Does she live in the same part of town where the judge lives? Does she buy her clothes at the same stores where the judge gets his? The audience is forming some opinions about these two characters. Now, we've met the two characters within the story. Now, tell me, what do you think the peasant listeners, with whom do they most identify? Who do they put themselves beside in this story? Doesn't it seem like they would say, as they look at her, she's one of us. She's like us. We're, we're with her. She's a down and outer like we are. Yes, they identify with her. They feel with her. But if there's going to be a legal conflict between the two, they already know the outcome. And they're almost nodding before Jesus finishes the story. Yeah, we know what's going to happen. If you're the villagers listening to Jesus, who are you putting your money on if they're taking bets? <laughs> Let the story play out. It says, she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. The woman has a grievance. You can see in the story there's actually a third character. He's not given any lines. In fact, he doesn't appear on stage. You don't see his face, but he is very much there and an influence in this story, this drama. He's an enemy, an oppressor, a legal opponent. He apparently has enough pull in town that he can do this without being stopped. It's probably an inheritance debate or dis dispute, and he's ripping her off. He appears to be so cocksure of himself that he doesn't even bother to appear in the court to present his side of the case. He can pull this off 
no one will care, and no one will stop him. But the widow will not be put off. The corrupt power structure may be arrayed against her, but she ventures before the judge repeatedly, tireless, tirelessly. And the tense of the verb Jesus uses is she kept coming. It's continual action. Every time she says, give me justice against my adversary. Remove this unfair oppression I'm experiencing. Do what's right. Give me justice. We need to look a little closer and read what is in between the lines of our text. Um, it helps to see, or at least to calculate, what are the odds of her winning in this case? What are the possibilities that she will come out on top? What does she have in her favor? What are her assets as she comes to this event? Well, first, she's a woman. She's a woman in a man's world. In the culture of that day, she's a second-class, if best, disenfranchised, unregarded citizen. She's not just a woman, but she's a woman in the wrong place. For she's in the court of justice, if you will. We can call it a court. Uh, women weren't even permitted to bear witness in a court, much less were they invited to bring a complaint against another. She's completely out of her realm, and the judge knows it, and she knows it. What about her status? Is there any social leverage she might be able to apply? No, she's apparently a poor widow. It's worse than that. Her low status as a woman is further devalued. She has no ID card in her wallet to indicate that she might have some privilege or status or way to uh, leverage things. Is anyone at her side? The text always says the pronoun she, herself, alone. No sons, certainly she's a widow, no husband, no brother, no uncle, no friends, no neighbors, no lawyer, no group of supporters to come with her to at least give the idea of backup. No, she's flying solo on this. She's all alone as she presents her appeal. Does she offer anything to try and uh, grease the wheels of justice in order to try to tilt the, lever or the scales of justice in her favor? There's no hint of a bribe. She's probably too poor to even consider it. Finally, we already have observed there's a, there's a judge who doesn't care about her at all. There's not even a glimmer of hope when we consider the character of the judge. He doesn't give a flip. Jesus' listeners, as they survey the scene, unfortunately know exactly how this is going to turn out. They know which side to bet on. They feel for her. They identify with her, but they know that the opponent and the judge are going to come out on top in this. There's no way. The deck is totally stacked against her. So let's just contrast the way this judge and his, his character, his actions, with the character of God and the words of God from the Old Testament and what he says about widows. Exodus 22, 22, 23 and following. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict them at all, if they do cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my anger will be kindled. 
Psalm 14.9. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Isaiah 1.17.23. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Your rulers are like rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe. Everyone chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. Those words exactly describe this judge and his contempt for the widow. Verse 4 says, For a while he refused. New American Standard. He was unwilling. He did not have a mind to do anything for her. Yes, the crowd's right. Justice denied. Just what they expected. Been there, done that. It's just how it goes. She's turned down. The judge disses her. We don't even know if he listened to her. The oppression continues. But get those words in the text for a while. <laughs> For a while. We don't know how long, but it was long enough. Days, for sure. Weeks, maybe. Perhaps months, we don't know. Jesus has told us in verse 3, she continually, she kept on coming to the judge. That dear woman had not a single tool in her toolbox, but one. She had as we say, zip, zero, nada in her favor. Nothing to suggest she might succeed. But she made use of the one thing she did have at her hand. Her persistence. She kept on. If this legal contest is going to be a war of attrition, she is determined to be the last one standing. <laughs> we have to admire her for that. She would not take no for an answer. She would keep asking. She would persist in presenting her plea time after time after time after time. She kept coming. I wonder if you can see her in your mind's eye. Can you see her wake up on court day? Maybe it's Tuesdays. Who knows? She says, what time is it? And she heads for the court or the tent or wherever it was that the judge held, held sway. Gets a no for an answer. The next day, or the next time court's in session, she wakes up, she sets her jaw, she marches off. And day after day after day, she is there presenting her plea. Now the judge is going to tell us in his, in his own words, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, at least he's honest <laughs> about his character, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He said to himself, Jesus exposes the judge's inner talk. But more of that, he exposes his motivations. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. In other words, he's not about to take action out of his kind, the kindness of his heart or out of compassion, nor in regard to God's law. No. What's prompting his decision? Listen to his talk. 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. The judge cites the widow's absolute resolve and her dogged determination. He doesn't care for her at all, but he's going to give her what she has fairly and untiringly asked for, and that is justice. He says, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He's got blood running down out of his ear. He's tired of this. It's literally interpreted, that phrase in the, in the original, so that she won't give me a black eye. That doesn't mean physically. It's a figure of speech for, so she's just going to wear me out and beat me down. I don't want it. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm going to give her what she wants. <laughs> so, on that day, however many days it took, she leaves the judge's quarters. The signed legal documents are in her hand. Her adversary loses and she wins. David beats Goliath. <laughs> the little woman gains a big victory. A low-class peasant comes out on top. Her wicked oppressor, who doesn't appear in the drama, is defeated. And he must hide his face in shame because all the village knows that she's bested him. And who celebrates this surprise ending? <laughs> Those who were betting on the adversary and the judge begin to fist bump and to jump and say, finally, one of us, one of us wins. And they are so excited. I like to picture Jesus doing this story by video in a living room with a bunch of guys. He's playing the story out. The dudes who are watching from the sofa jump up at this point and they are giving high fives and celebrating and yelling and shouting. What a cool story. But Jesus grabs the remote. He presses pause. He reverses the drama a little bit. and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys, stop. Let's catch that last line. Last line. I want you to hear it again. Play it back. Listen. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unjust, the unrighteous judge says. Listen up again and hear those words. <laughs> Don't miss it. This is the point I'm trying to get across. The judge isn't deciding on the merits of the case. <laughs> He's not convinced by the evidence he is granting the widow what is right and fair precisely and only because tenacity triumphed, because persistence prevailed. The audience is silent. They're stunned. Jesus takes in every face, every villager, Now tell me, did the judge do what was right? You can do this if you want. <laughs> did he do what was right for the right reason? No, it was pure self-preservation, wasn't it? So Jesus looks in every face and he wants to tell them something about their God. He wants to tell them something about their loving Father, whom he knows because he was sent from the side of the Father. He wants, them, he wants to drive home the fact 
that God sees, God knows, and God cares when his people are mistreated. With the words of the judge, lest she beat me down with her continual coming, with those words lingering in the ears of the villagers, Jesus says, Will not God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? If the judge will do that, will not God respond to those who persist in crying out day and night? In the structure of the language of his day, Jesus has moved God to the very front of the sentence in order to emphasize this is God, that was the judge. If this, <laughs> if this sorry excuse for a judge will begrudgingly do right by a determined widow, will not God, our holy and loving Father, respond to his children who plead to him for justice? If a bad man will do a good thing, how much more will a good and holy God do the best thing for those who ask him? Let's notice the relationships compared in the story. We have the widow and the judge, and we have us and God. Let me ask you, are we in relationship to God the same way that the widow is in relationship to the judge? Well, you might say, okay, the judge has authority, God has authority. Okay. You might say, well, we're helpless, the widow was helpless. Okay. But there is a word in the sentence we just read that spells out how different is the relationship. It's that word, elect. Please look at me. As my eyes take you in, Jesus is saying to you, you're my chosen. You're my hand-picked. You are select. You are my treasured ones. When you talk, I listen. We are God's elect. We don't live across the town from the judge or across the tracks from our God. We are intimately close to him. It's true. We bring nothing in our hands to deserve that precious relationship. We bring our sin and shame to the cross. Jesus died on the cross to take our sins. And God says, God made him who knew no sin to become the, uh, uh, to, who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do, we are God's elect. We call out to him just as the widow did. And we're invited and summoned in this story to tenacious, persistent communication with our Father. And because we're his chosen, he will listen. We're not twisting God's arm to overcome his reluctance. But Jesus hasn't returned yet, has he? <laughs> we feel widowed and without protection until he does. Before that returns, things will get darker still. The church of Jesus is not in charge of the justice systems of the world. We're beneath them. In some places and cultures, it is crushing. In other places, like here, it's deceptively and even dangerously comfortable. But those who follow Jesus do and will suffer 
injustice and wrong. We'll be tempted to give in, to lose heart, to abandon hope, and to quit praying. Jesus paints a lasting picture for us with this story. Victory will be ours in God's timing. Vindication may be delayed, but it will come. (laughs) No doubt. With determination, we present our plea before God. We clamor for a will to be done, God's will. We clamor for a kingdom to become Jesus' kingdom, and it will. Panina and her husband lived in a small town in Kenya. No grass, low mud brick huts, poor people with a vibrant faith in Jesus. On September 14, 2018, Panina went to the dusty market like every other day. She left her cell phone at home because she wasn't expecting to hear from anyone. When she got back, there were several missed calls, and she knew something was wrong. As a truck driver, her husband, Paul, was on his way back from delivering some goods at the Somali border. And in in a follow-up call, one of his associates as, as she tells it, an associate of Paul's told me that they had left in the morning, but as they traveled towards a town near the border, they were stopped by Al-Shabaab. That's an Islamic terrorist group that has menaced, menaced that region for the last decade and more. The radical extremists lined up everyone from the truck and demanded that they recite the Shahada, the Islamic creed of their faith. As a strong Christian... Paul told the terrorists he could not deny Jesus and recite that creed. He said, if you want to kill me, I will remain with Jesus. If you let me go, I will remain with Jesus. And so Panina says, they shot him then and there. The others recited the creed and were let go. In the days after the tragic loss of her husband, Panina's faith wavered and was tested. I asked God if this was his plan or the devil's. I lived a life full of questions. I almost lost my faith, she says. There she was, devastated, a widow, a poor single mother at the age of 24. Life became hard. I struggled because I was alone. I became dependent with no one to help me. Even food was a challenge to get. I almost lost my faith because what happened was too heavy for me. In the plan of God, some workers of a Christian agency encountered her, helped to restore her faith, gave her job training and occupational skills that she hadn't had. They helped uh, her grow spiritually, and they trained her to pray, to pray for her needs and to pray for those who had killed her husband. Someone asked Panina what message she has for other believers experiencing hardship. And here's her quote. I would like to tell them to be strong and prayerful. Be prayerful. The situation is not permanent. It is life's path. It comes. And someday, God will take it away. Joy will come in the end. Be prayerful, she says. Joy will come in the end. But the end is not here yet for us, nor for her. So along with the hymn writer, we can say, among the so-called kingdoms and power brokers of this world that appear to have now the upper hand. This is my father's world. And he hears me. 
This is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle's not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied when he returns to make earth and heaven one. Till then, (laughs) we stay on mission. We keep serving, we keep loving others, we keep sharing the gospel, we keep reaching out, especially to those on the fringes who are least likely to receive justice. Till then, we keep following the words and example of Jesus who said in Luke chapter 6, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Bless those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. We keep praying for wrongs to be made right when God chooses. Verses 7 and 8. Will God delay delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Will God deny us his chosen one's justice? No. Will he sit and watch uncharacterly like the judge? No. He will act on his schedule. When it comes, when it comes time to act, it will be speedy. <laughs> like the rains that suddenly poured down and the floods that raged in Noah's day. Like the abrupt fire that erupted upon Sodom. God's action on our behalf may not be speedy in the way we perceive time and speediness. But it will come. And when the justice comes upon those who array themselves against God and his people, it will be swift. Jesus leaves with a final question. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He wonders out loud whether his delay in returning will cause us to lose expectancy that the surrounding pressures will force us off course, that we will stop depending on Jesus, stop leaning into his character, stop counting on his promises. That, that is why Jesus gave us this parable. It's not a story about our being a nuisance to God until we get what we want. (laughs) It's an invitation to keep kneeling, because we know we are weak. We continue to pray so that we don't stray from his side. We constantly show up in his court, in part because we simply want to be close. We intercede all the time until, in his time, he returns in triumph. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, We're weak. You're strong. Opposition can be harsh. Bring us to your side. Cause us persistence in prayer that you might be honored by what you do in your action, your gracious action on our behalf. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Thank you, Brian. We're going to sing this great hymn together, Hallelujah, What a Savior, uh, written in 1875. It's written in ye olde English, um, and, or but, depending on how you might feel about hymns. Um, It is a beautiful hymn that shows what it means for us to be surprised at God's plan, and then to have this full realization that, oh wow, his plan includes me, and then it's just this this, uh, outpouring of praise. 
for this song, just the short, very short verses that kind of demonstrate God's plan and the surprise and the thankfulness that we have as a result of that. Would you sing with me? Would you stand with me as we sing this together? this week, trusting him who is worthy of all our hallelujahs. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. We're dismissed.